Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you go to a wedding or a conference or something, you look at the table plan, you see where are we sitting, and you hear another table you know, where people are laughing, you think, oh, I wish I was on that table. <laughs> Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment who are here to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve every aspect of your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this very special edition of the Humorology podcast is in fact my publisher, Mr. Peter Freeth. How are you? I'm very good, Paul. Thank you uh, for that beautiful introduction. Well, um, um, unlike your other guests, uh, I'm not actually a, a celebrity, I guess, uh, although I have been on TV. Oh, oh well, I didn't know you'd been on TV. What, what, what TV <laughs> was that? You know, all these uh, this proliferation of extra channels that we've got now that they have to stuff with some weird content. And you get these late night programs that are that they present as documentaries, but they're really just, you know, scandal uh, <laughs> <laughs> things. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was in one of those. It was called The Dark Side of Stage Hypnosis. Oh my goodness! And uh, what TV production company that made you know scandalous uh, expose type things? Um, and what uh, was your role in it? Well, uh, I was I was a, a participant on a training course where people were learning how to be stage hypnotist, uh, stage hypnotists. And at the end of the three day course, we put on a public show in a hotel in London, and the TV crew filmed it as if it was a you know a, well as if it was a a proper public show but the angle that they were taking was you know look how easy it is for any idiot off the street to become a stage hypnotist and do untold damage to people's fragile uh minds and so that was the that was the the the, the theme of the whole thing that they were going for and I met with the production company a few weeks uh before it because I wanted to find out what's the angle what are they looking for here you know, and they were saying, oh, it's just, you know, we just want to find out what it's what it takes to become a stage hypnotist and so on. I thought, well, I don't believe that, because if you looked at their website uh, early in the days of websites, there are other productions with things like the John Leslie scandal and streakers, <laughs> streakers, too. Um, 
So <laughs> I thought, well, I kind of know where this is going. And there were a lot of people on the course who were clinical hypnotherapists and they dropped out of doing the show at the end because they didn't want people to, to see them in that kind of context. Whereas at that time, I didn't have that kind of concern about, uh, uh, you know, a clinical professional reputation. So uh, and, and I was in the bit where uh, there's a, um, a very common thing you'll see in stage hypnosis, which is obviously a, a world that is that is very much on the edges of, of some of the things that your other guests have, have talked about mm -hmm. around things like NLP and, and psychology and so on. And there's a very, very common part of an act that you'll see where the, the hypnotist does a what's called a fast trance induction, where they'll push somebody's head back, they'll say sleep and they'll, you know, they'll just collapse on the floor and everyone's really impressed. And it's really amazing. But as with a lot of these things, there is a bit of trickery behind it, which is that you put your foot behind the subject's feet so they can't step back. And when you push their head back, it's disorienting. And the natural reaction is to step back. They can't. So they fall over. Uh, and the idea is you catch them and you, you gently lay them down on the floor. Uh, and it looks very impressive. And they stay there because, you know, they're too embarrassed to do anything else, basically. <laughs> and so um, uh, they paired us up on the course. And I got paired up with this man mountain. Um, and I just thought, there's absolutely no way I'm going to catch this guy. So when I pushed him on the head. I, I was behind him. So the idea is you, you shift your weight behind them. So you kind of catch them on your leg on the way down. I had no chance. The guy must have been about 20 stones. So, so he, he fell backwards. I kind of got caught behind him. I fell down. He fell down on top of me. We were both sprawling on the floor. And I saw the camera crew come running over. I thought... That's definitely going in the TV program, and it did. Um, so that's that's my my seconds, my few seconds of fame there. Well, well, I'm relieved it wasn't Crime Watch, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was pretty close. I mean, you know, some of the allegations they're making in the program about how hypnotists had, had sort of messed people up and so on. You know, there was some people who'd suffered some sort of serious stuff there, but I don't think any of it was because of the stage hypnosis. That just kind of opened the you know took the cork out of the bottle on on something else that was happening well uh, i'm intrigued because uh one of the reasons that you are the perfect publisher for me is because you understand so much about the psychology the nlp and all the background that i talk about so and and it's very few uh, publishers who have a background in that and actually can understand it. So when I send something into you, you don't go, what does this mean? You actually add to it and, and develop it. So just tell us a little bit more about your background uh, and uh, what you've done in, in, in the world before you were uh, a huge publisher. <laughs> well, um, uh, my working life originally started just over uh, 37 years ago, 1985. Um, and uh, I was a, a, a telecoms and IT engineer, then designer, design bits of what today we call the Internet um, and in various countries around the world. Um, and uh, from that went on to um, I became less and less interested in the technology and more interested in the people and, and the sort of business applications and so on. Um, and so I started my own business back in uh 2002 well 2000 really uh and 
at the time I'd started writing, so I'd started getting into NLP training as an, a sort of an aside to my, my day job in the telecoms industry. And um, I, I just started started doing my own thing and, uh, and and publishing was was part of that. So it was partly consulting with companies and helping to uh, develop teams and leaders and, 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 and team performance. Um, and then publishing was a natural fit for that because, you know, books are, a, a still today, a fabulous way of, of, of encapsulating and, and presenting knowledge. And one of the things that, that you do and that, and that I've done is we, we create knowledge. It's, it's very easy to think of a, you know, a corporate trainer as somebody who's an expert in something and they're just unloading that information into the, the audience, but that's not the case at all. Um, and certainly when when your style is more facilitative and, and when you're talking about a subject like leadership or, or, or sales or personal performance, there are no black and white answers. There, there is no one way of doing things. Um, you know, you can go into any bookshop and, and see, you know, 100 books on leadership and they all say something totally different to the others. So if there's no one model, there's no one way of of doing it it must be about relationships it must be about people and that's what i got more interested in um and so i started publishing books and writing books as well um inspired by some of the terrible books that i'd read on the subject and i thought i bet i could do better than that <laughs> so, so i had a go and um and that's been it and then yeah we we got together in 2000 early 2009 it was so, was it god yeah, that's about 13 and a half years yeah God, uh, your I, first I could... pitching bible which is you know which i keep in in pride of place on my and that's a big book it I is mean, it actually, that is that is properly you know a big book um and a very good book as well well that well thank you because um uh, we i mean we've stuck together basically because you now, not only a brilliant publisher and everybody at Genius Media Publishing is brilliant and supportive, but also I think the the humour that we share is an important bonding part of it. Mm. And uh, I'd like to just talk to our audience a little bit about how humorology came about, because uh, I, I came and, and just so our audience knows, sometimes when I come and pitch an idea to Peter, you can tell when he's not keen. <laughs> he, he, he's not necessarily kind either. He's, he's quite, uh, you are quite blunt and you go, it's a good idea or it's not a good idea. But when I pitched humorology, which for our listeners is, you know, we who just know the podcast is now uh, a book. Here it which, is. There you can go. Uh, it's, the real, it's the real thing. It's a beautiful hardback book. You see, it isn't all empty space uh, uh, and filler. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's, I think it's your best book actually. Oh, well, bless you. And uh, you have, well, you were so instrumental in it because um, what was it? Nearly two years ago now, you were the person who said to me, well, if you, it's a great idea because it fits in with your background, with humour and with psychology. Um, but if you're going to do it, you're going to need to get some interviews and interview people from business, sport and entertainment um, who understand uh, this area and actually I I just went 
well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well do a podcast. So that's how the podcast started as well. Mm. But humorology, as we describe it, and I'd like to hear your um, description of it, is the art and science of, of using humour to create a competitive advantage. And, and, and I think we kind of agree that a sense of humour is your most important aspect in surviving and increasing in your breadth of um, reach in an increasingly complex world. What, what else do you think humorology is and why is it important? Um, I think it's one of the humor is, is one of the interesting things that characterizes being human. Um, and so I think if you look at any, uh, you know, if you look at any interview, read any autobiography, you know, people put funny stories in there. People tell a funny thing happened, you know, on the way to work today, a funny thing happened to me over the weekend. I think, as you said, there's that incredibly important bonding. Um, but uh, there's lots and lots of research going back decades on humor as, as a really powerful um, way to increase resilience. And, you know, I remember reading research again decades ago that, that, that was about people who learn to see their misfortunes in life in, 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 as, as a funny thing happened. Um, they, they bounce back quicker, they recover quicker and they recover stronger than the people who dwell in the, the victim mentality. And when I say when I say victim mentality, it's something that happens to all of us. It's like, oh, this thing happened to me. Oh, what terrible luck I had. Oh, it's not fair. That's you know. So I'm not talking about people who are you know wallowing in a pit of self pity for years on end. I'm just talking about any time that we that we feel hard done by. Um, and what happens when we get into that sort of victim way of thinking is that we give up our control. And always when you're talking about um you know the, the sort of things that life throws at us in these past few years you know we've had to to cope with so much um and and one of the most important ways that we that we do that is by taking control of events that we can't control we can't control pandemics we can't control what the government's doing and so on um and so one of the ways that we take control is by turning it into a joke, turning it into something funny that happened. And that could be through you know, black humor, dark humor, through, you know, what do they used to call it? Um, gallows humor. Gallows humor, that's it. Yeah, thanks. Um, that, well, there's nothing else I can do in this situation. So we may as well laugh. And, and laughter is uplifting. It, it's a social signal. It releases certain chemicals within your body that make you feel good. And it's a signal to other people that, you know, this this situation isn't isn't as bad as it seems. You know, and I think we've all been in situations at work where, you know, something really bad happens, like something makes somebody makes a mistake and everyone sort of freezes and stops breathing for a moment <laughs> until they see the boss laughs about it. And then everyone can relax again. So it's a real sort of uh, cultural signal as well. So. I, I would say that it's also a, a social currency, isn't it? It's yeah. it's probably the easiest way to bond and because it, it's a gift that's meant to be shared. Laughing together sort of means that we share values, we share life experiences, we share hopes and, and dreams, if you like. Um, and that 
creates a connection that can last a lifetime. And I've had experiences on holiday and being away on business, and I'm sure you have too, where I've exchanged, I've shared maybe three, four, five words that are understandable between me and somebody else, but we still laugh. Yeah. You know, we'll point at something and we'll laugh or pull a funny face or or whatever. It's like we hardly understand each other. But language becomes this, uh, laughter becomes this common language between us. Um, so I think you're absolutely right from that social bonding, social currency. And, and if you go to a wedding or a conference or something, you look at the table plan, you see where are we sitting and you hear another table You know, where people are laughing. You think, oh, I wish I was on that table. <laughs> <laughs> i'm always yeah. i always seem to be on the table that that wishes that we're on other tables maybe it's a table full of accountants yeah <laughs> and they're very very charming people yeah <laughs> of accountants listening. listening um but yeah we want to be around laughter we want to be around people having fun when we when we think back to childhood memories friends who we've we've had for a lifetime it's all people that we share humor with so i think and, and the application in humorology is obviously around improving performance in a business. And I think I think the connection there is it's taking what we all intuitively know about humor, but it's putting some structure uh, and and backed up by some science into uh, both how exactly uh, humor translates through to performance of a person and a team and a business. Um, but also then some practical ways that you, well, to, to put it bluntly, that you can be funnier because, um, you know, it's it, it, it takes work. It's not natural. It's it's something we're all born with. But the ability to tune that sense of humor, I think, to the to the context of the culture, the organization, the place where we are, that takes a bit of work. And so that's in the in the book as well. Yeah, well, and it's appropriateness, isn't it? Because uh, we're, uh, whilst we say funnier, I, the humorology project isn't just about being funny. It's it's about lightness of touch. It's about knowing humility, humanity, all those things as well. And and I would say a very important word that you sort of touched on there was attitude. And the Americans have this um, saying that your attitude dictates your altitude. And I kind of like that whole thing because something bad happens to somebody. Their whole attitude can uh, can change the way. Now, can you find a way to see the funny side of it? That, that That's an attitude. That's looking for something. You know, I'm, I'm just reading a book that um, the comedian Mark Thomas gave to me. Um, by a firefighter and they're constantly going out and they're having to see the most horrendous things and the attitude is first of all of you know what how can we get out of this state and and I think what laughter it does is it shifts the state it may be the quickest way to shift the state what do you think about that Mm, yeah i think that's true and i think i think for them again they're dealing with these horrible situations that none of us would want to be in that uh, they don't have any control over and they can either internalize that and take it home and it and it destroys them or they've got to find a way to release it and you know and 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 laughter is a, a healthy way of releasing it perhaps 
perhaps the healthiest way because you know, alternative ways of releasing stress are available, but they all tend to be addictive or harmful in some way. So I think, you know, laughter and that shared experience that, you know, you, you've worked in comedy clubs and I've been to a lot of comedy clubs over the years. Unfortunately, for some reason, not as popular today as they were back in the 80s, 90s, um, and or not as many of them around. But again, there was a real sense of people going to those sorts of, 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 of venues to release stress, to laugh off all the day's hassle and, and worry and, and fear. Uh, because obviously starting in the 80s, when we had this, this new wave of political comedy what did they what did they call it um alternative comedy alternative comedy right because yes. it wasn't just oh you ever see my mother-in-law she got two postcodes you know it wasn't <laughs> that sort of humor it went from that to uh yeah talking a satire talking about politics giving people a way of of laughing at the stress of you know through the 80s and 90s a political environment that they couldn't control they weren't happy about but at least they could laugh and, you know, and that was a much healthier way of releasing that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think it and healthy is is the main thing about it is how do you have a healthy company? Well, well, a healthy company is whereby people feel relaxed enough. We've had a lot of um, we've got a lot of quotes in the book from people in creative industries, and they say that without that. Uh, ability to laugh and the freedom to laugh they're really it stifles creativity it stops it happening and so I think it's um incumbent on on companies and people who want to grow organizations to understand that it has to be there as a, a baseline uh, for the uh, for the the company and what do you think do you think that's always led by the leadership or can it can it be ground up as well i think it can be ground up i think people will look you know as i said earlier people will look to the to the leader to the boss to see what they're laughing at so it can be encouraged by by the leadership of a company it doesn't have to come top down but it can certainly they can certainly create space for it and they can certainly uh, encourage it and um it reminds me of a point you made earlier about um, times when I'd, I'd give you feedback on ideas that you were having for, for books and ideas to go in books. And I think it's really important that, uh, and you talk about creativity, that a lot of people feel under pressure in organisations to, to do the right thing, to have a good strategy, to have the right plan and to have good ideas. And all of that's complete rubbish. You have no idea. You know, my experience of people in, in global businesses all the way down to local businesses, nobody has any idea what they're doing, but they get lucky often enough and then what human beings do is they'll they'll congratulate themselves for for their brilliant idea or planning when actually it was it was just sheer luck most of the time um or you you know you hit a vein and you 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 go with it and and you see where it leads you but you know i think that point about about ideas i think you've always had good ideas it's whether they're aligned with where you currently are and the direction that you're going in so no idea is a, a bad idea in itself. It's, is it going to work or not? And there have been things that you've wanted to shoehorn into other books um, that are great in themselves, but they don't belong in that book. They, they belong in a, a future as yet unwritten book. And I think for a lot of that stuff, 
that that future book is now humorology because as, as you said it was such a good fit for your your credentials and your your breadth of experience in comedy and the people that you've interacted with in that world and then the business world and the psychology aspect of it so you know it was a perfect home for all of those and i think i think a book has a has a personality and a company has a personality that we call culture and i think humor is one way of testing that you know, if you're uh, a friend of mine just uh, had a job interview last week and he actually said and i'm going to I'm going to find the, the text and read you. He, he thought the interview didn't go very well. Um, he said, he said, had the call and not feeling positive about next step. They were very rigid and formulaic in their approach and not a bundle of laughs either. Mm. So he's using laughter as a test of the culture. If they laugh with me, then, okay, I can see myself here. I can fit in here. And if not, if they don't want to play along, then you know this is not for me because his attitude is, look, you know, he goes to work to do a job. He's going to work hard. He's going to do a great job for them. But it's got to be fun. It's got to be enjoyable. So I think it's I think laughter is a cultural test as well that we perform when we go into a new environment, start a new job. We see what people are laughing at and whether we like it or not, whether we feel that we fit in. Well, that, that's really interesting because uh, sometimes on stage I talk about, um, I say, I put up a number which is 70, 70.9%. And I said, what does that mean? And that's from an American study where they said 70.9% of people will change supplier based on one criteria. And that is if the new supplier is more fun. And people are always shocked in business. They go, that can't be true. But I, I, then I break it down and I start talking about how do you behave? And your, your friend who just went for the job interview, what do you want? Do you want, I mean, it's not just about the wage packet. It's about how you feel going in every time. And so the humorology project is really about getting people to understand what really is important to people, you know, when people are making decisions or at job interviews, which you're just talking about, what are they doing? Are they just looking at the CV and going, uh, marvellous, they uh, got a 2-1 from Oxford and uh, they played rugby? No, they're, they're getting a sense of the person. And a huge part of a sense of a person is their sense of humour, is it not? And, and by the time you're at a job interview, you've already got the job on paper. They wouldn't be wasting their time talking to people who don't appear to have what they're looking for. And then the final test is how you interacting as a as a person. Um, and yeah, I think it, it just in the it's interesting that just in the last couple of weeks, there's a big recruitment website in the UK that started advertising on TV. I don't think they've done it before. And they've created this new differentiator. What they started out at was an aggregator of other job sites. And now they've created this this unique uh, differentiator, which is that they they show an employer's happiness score. Oh, wow. They take feedback from people who work in companies. And so they you know, when you see a job advert, you can also look up information on the company. There's other been other websites around for years that have done this. But that's very much that cultural aspect of. Uh, yeah. Okay, I could do this job. Let's say it's a web designer or a software developer or something. 
there's there's 20 different companies um they're all in the same market doing the same sort of work they're all paying about the same there's nothing to choose between them so i think when you have a when you have a, a fair choice then yeah you're going to choose the one which is where am i going to enjoy working where am i going to have a laugh every day uh, you know but where where is it that fits with my personality and th and that's going to be the same for the interviewer as well they're going to say well we've seen half a dozen people that can all do the job on paper which one do we want to have around more and i've what? been through lots and lots of interviews over the years both being interviewed myself interviewing other people working with hr teams developing interview processes and you know companies spend a fortune on trying to make interview process objective with psychometric testing and assessment centers and so on and it's all a complete con because at the end of the day the hiring manager will just end up hiring the person who reminds them of themselves yeah <laughs> they will have all that other data to make it fit the person they've already decided that they want and then the language patterns they all use are, yeah, it seems like a good fit. It seems like he fit into the general culture. I can, I can see her fitting in. Yes. I can see her. So they're, they're imagining the future. Yes. So from an interview point of view, if you can, if you can fit yourself into that person's imagined picture, if you can make it easy for them to imagine you in that position, it's done deal because, you know, yeah. I can imagine a nice big, cake at lunchtime uh, if i if i can imagine it i'm increasing the chances that that's actually going to happen yeah go to the and, sandwich and i think well, i'll have a cake as well because i pictured well, it in my mind because I, absolutely and 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 by the way if you're leading with an element of fun well who doesn't want to be around that is there a, a single area of business that we can think of or a working relationship that isn't improved by fun and humor yeah and let's be clear you're not going to get a, a job because you're fun but you're a complete idiot and you have no qualifications but it's all other things being equal then yes. yeah absolutely that will be well, it's the competitive advantage part exactly. of humorology exactly. isn't it you know and uh, uh, we say in the book that the average person sent, spends i think it's three thousand five hundred days at work during their lifetime <laughs> presumably at some point a sense of humor must come in handy on at least a few of those days you think and you know when i think back over my 37 years in work what what are the memories that stand out they're they're the ones that are funny they were either ridiculously funny at the time or they were actually really horrible at the time but telling the story of those events over the years they become funny memories yeah though so all the things that i look back at and maybe that's just me but all the things i look back at from my working life particularly the early days when I was an apprentice. They're all things that, that were funny or things that I can tell as a funny story. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah. And, and it's that social cohesion, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's, it, what does it say? It says we're in this together. We see things the same way. You know, that, that's what it is. And that's what bonds a company. Uh, and, and by the way, this is true of sports teams as well. You know, the, the, the teams that, you know, play well together, play well on the pitch together. All the, yeah. you know, people like Scott Connell, who um, we, we've had in the book. And we, uh, I also wrote a book with him, which you published, yeah, which yeah. is a Leader well, on the Pitch. No, no. He's, he's um, standing on a box there to make it look like he's taller than you in real life. <laughs> He's actually a few inches shorter. I've, I've seen the two of you side by side. Exactly. But it's the magic, magic of the media, isn't it? Exactly. Can, it's, all, it's all a lie, isn't it? You know, it's all a lie. Um, I wanted to come on to uh, some of the uh, things, and we can ask these uh, the same question of each other. But what makes you laugh, Peter? I, I think just before you get on to that, there's a point I wanted to pick up on from what you were just saying about the bonding aspect, because there's a really, there's a, some interviews in the book that, that echo the same theme about laughing together. And there's actually some research that you've cited in the book uh, as well. That, that, and the phrase that the summary was, I think, the laughter only works if you laugh together. So because an aspect of this social bonding is we can't bond with 7 billion people and, and have close relationships so we we'll tend to have close relationships with a few people and and have this sense of who's inside and who's outside and if you think you know back thousands of years that was a very tribal thing wasn't it recognizing an outsider as a potential threat but you know also an opportunity to trade or, or you know whatever and so that to talk about social bonding implicitly also talks about social exclusion and I think one of the things to be really, really careful of with humour, especially in organisations, is we don't make the joke at the expense of the new guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the old, you know, when I back was I was, when I was an apprentice, you know, the jokes were send, sending the apprentice to the stores for a long stand mm -hmm. or a new bubble for the spirit level. Or whatever. <laughs> yes. um, and, and and that never happened to me, luckily. Uh, but I heard really horrible stories from for apprentices in other companies about things that, that happened to them. Um, 
that bordered on abusive, but it's all, ah, you know, if you joke, if you laugh about it, then you're one of us now. So it's like a, uh, what do they call it's it? It's an initiation ceremony. Yes, it's an initiation ceremony, absolutely. But it's it's laughter at somebody else's expense. And, and I mentioned earlier the, the stage hypnosis show. Um, and so in the course, we were given this book of routines to follow. And they were like milking cows, bus trip to the seaside. Everybody thinks they're a chicken, seats on fire. It's old, old formulaic stuff. And the thing that I liked about the course was the, the sort of way of tapping into the, the potential of the mind. What I didn't like was it was based around this old philosophy of treating the, the person on stage like they're a puppet and you're just giving them instructions and the audience doesn't know you're giving them instructions. So they think they're acting of their own free will and under in a trance, but they're not. Um, and so we put on this public show at the end and I was part of this four person routine with these. <clears throat> so basically the TV crew wanted to focus on the sleaziest, weirdest, most horrible people who got a little slot of their own <laughs> and, and performed exactly as the TV crew wanted them to. It was perfect. And then the rest of us, we did this kind of tag team routine. So we got four people up and all, all, all of us worked with these four people doing separate routines. And I decided to improvise a routine. So I wrote a loose structure because the idea I had was that I didn't want the people on stage to be puppets. I wanted them to be part of the joke. I wanted them to be part of creating what was funny about it and for them to have a sense of, of being included in that, not me just treating them like they're puppets. Literally up until two minutes before we went on stage, the other guys were still trying to talk me out of doing it because it was unpredictable and uncontrollable. And I liked that. I like unpredictable. I like yeah. surprise. Um, uh, and they didn't. They wanted me to do milking cows, bus trip <laughs> to the seaside and, and so on. And I stuck to my, you know, because I thought this is my one chance to do this. And I'm not going to do what you want me to do on my one chance. And if it goes wrong, then it OK, it's my fault. It's not going to make any difference to you if it goes wrong. Yeah. Um, so I did the, I did the improvised routine and it was who wants to be a millionaire uh, routine. So four people up on stage. And all I did was give them one simple instruction each and then ask them questions where I could control whether they got the answer right or not. There was some ambiguity. So I could keep on delaying the, the, the payoff at the end. Um, and the instructions were the first guy uh, knew the answer, but couldn't say it. A woman uh, next to him uh, would always give a wrong answer, even though she knew the right answer. The third guy was a world expert on every subject and knew the right answer to everything. And the fourth guy, and this was at the time when the cheating scandal was going on. Oh, yeah. So the fourth guy would just cough every time one of the other contestants answered. <laughs> so, so I, and, and what really shocked me was how the, the four people on stage played out the instructions and, and were surprised themselves. And how literally they took the instructions. So the first guy, you won't be able to speak the answer. He was trying to force his mouth open to get the words out and couldn't. But any other time other than answering, he could talk. Yeah. So he took that very literally. The, the, the woman that, that, that would always get it wrong, uh, would give the, you know, the opposite answer or the wrong answer. She'd say the answer. And then the surprise that she experienced, she was shocked to hear that come out of her mouth. What was in her brain wouldn't come out of her mouth. Something else was. And then the pompous Noel guy and then the guy at the end who just coughed all the time. It's perfect. But I have this idea in what was said to the TV crew. 
uh, again about not wanting them to be puppets i want them to be part of the joke i want them to to benefit from it because if what we're doing is we're saying the human mind is so powerful that you could be in a function room somewhere uh, i mean for them for you know there's an audience it's dark there's a tv crew so imagining that they're on a tv quiz show is not a huge stretch of the imagination so i you know use that to to as part of uh, part of building the the imaginary environment for them really um but if you think that, that the power of the human mind is such that you could be in a room above a pub and and actually think you're a chicken or actually think you're a spy or, or you're on a bus trip to the seaside then you could imagine anything that you want mm. to be true about yourself and goodness me if we're gonna if we're going to demonstrate and the way around that we were taught to get around the uh, 1956 stage hypnosis act was to say it's a demonstration of the potential of the mind it's not a stage hypnosis show well if that's what we're doing then wouldn't we demonstrate it in such a way that the person actually gets something really amazing from it well with that yeah but that's uh, then we get into the whole world of you know uh, what are you anchoring in your own mind are you anchoring good good feelings or you're anchoring bad feelings and that uh, is essential to the whole humorology project because exactly. the whole book is uh, about how can you anchor or uh, keep good feelings and lose the bad ones yeah exactly really, because no matter what is going on outside and 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 so whether it's ignoring the audience and pretending you're a spy or ignoring what the government's up to and pretend, you know, and, and being happy in what you're doing. It's it's a very similar concept, I think. And so the TV production company, I told them about this idea and they're like, oh yeah, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, couldn't you couldn't you just abuse somebody and tell them that they were checking, you know, that's what they wanted. So they were not interested. What was so I ended the I ended the show by by getting them by telling them it was a draw, they'd all won and they could imagine winning their most the wonderful thing that they'd ever you know thought of that they most desired um forgetting that they'd taken the instructions very seriously so the, the, the woman who always got the answer wrong her she could have anything that she wanted her star prize was a pebble <laughs> she said it. again complete surprise the guy who couldn't say anything couldn't say anything <laughs> it kind of you know it, it didn't exactly have the, the 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 heartwarming payoff that i was hoping for because they were still acting out by those instructions but the thought was there and then would you believe it years later <clears throat> darren brown started doing the exact same thing that i'd so obviously you know he had spies in the audience stole the idea or probably telepathically stole the idea from me well, um, um, Darren, Darren's a uh, um, manager. Michael Vine is a big fan of the show, so um, oh, uh, I, I, I think he it. might sue. Tell him I want my uh, <laughs> at least a signed, <laughs> at least a signed autograph of, of something. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you um, a signed autograph of Michael Vine. But I think, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think it says that, that this I the idea has comes over time, and. You know, I had the idea back in about 2002, three, I'm sure he did as well. But, you know, he's on a routine doing what doing what he's doing. So it, it just seems to be an obvious idea. If we're doing something that demonstrates the power of the mind, this, let's use it to empower people and do something good for people and something meaningful and something wonderful. And I think that's another theme that runs through humorology. Yeah, but it isn't making jokes at other people's expense. It isn't inside humor it's inclusive 
humor it's collaborative humor it's 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 culture building humor and it's bringing people together in a way that allows people to set aside the distractions and the the the, the ups and downs of life and actually do something wonderful if if that's what they turn their minds to well and aren't we all drawn to laughter i I just think that one of the one of the points of humorology is to actually start pointing people at ways that they can see the funny side more and i i mean i i know you do it in your life uh, as well and i do it in mine whereby you make appointments for laughter and that that could be a tv show it could be a film it could be but actually it's people for me is more important you know um, he's a, a great mate and he's in the book and he, uh, he's on the podcast, Ains- Ainsley Harriet. We've, we've been uh, mates since school and we can laugh at anything. We can just sit there and giggle and we can do the same jokes again and it makes us laugh. Most Mondays we have a, a thing called uh, uh, the GBC, the Great Blokes Club, ironically. Um, and it's just mates, but we know that we will go to a pub and we will just laugh our socks off. And it's it's like a three hour blood transfusion where you come out elated, you know, and you know, it and that's why you know, people have to build in these things. You can't just wait for them to happen your attitude has to also change and go out and seek these things. And and one of the most important things is that if your attitude is right, if you have the attitude of gratitude or the attitude of humor or attitude of humorology, you're going out with the attitude where you are willing to play, where you're willing to play. And, you know, we know from psychology that if you want anyone to go into any state you have to go into that state first. And so humorology is about building that state as well, isn't it? Definitely. And, and you know, if you're going to go to the cinema to see a funny film, you're going to have a laugh with that intention. If you're going out with friends that are fun to be around, you're going out with that intention. So so focus on that. Make that the intention. You know, put on a, a an old episode of Reginald Perrin that we've been re-watching recently. And... Yeah, and it and it is funny. It, it's it's you know, it, it, I'm putting it on with the intention of I want to watch something that's going to lift my spirits, because a lot of stuff on TV doesn't. Uh, a lot of stuff on TV is about making me feel like I should be grateful for how bad my life is, because I can see other people's lives are worse, and that's not uplifting. So, you know, watch stuff that's uplifting. Be around people that's uplifting. Um, you know, whether it's books or or an activity, whatever it is, but do something with the intention of laughing. And and I think diarise that in as well, because if you you talk about intention, but sometimes the, the best intentions go awry. So, but if you've diarised it and go, no, this is my Monday night laugh club. This is my um, you know running club where i'll run and then have coffee with people it's diarized and you can do you know sometimes you and i call each other and and we will talk for two hours and a lot of that is about laughter Mm. and and lifting the spirits which i think is crucial 
for everyone, not just in business, but in life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I'm sorry, I, I dragged you back to to a point that you'd, you'd made about inclusivity and, and belonging. Uh, but you had just started to ask me what I found funny, I think. Well, yes. Um, so just so it's an edit point. Uh, so, Peter, what do you find funny? Uh, Marx Brothers, Groucho Marx. I've got uh, almost all of his books, which are, are very funny um, and funny writing. Uh, Reginald Perrin, um, uh, the two Ronnies. So I like clever word play. Um, yeah, would be the thing that I, I would be drawn to. Um, and I'm a great admirer of, and again, this is something that you've mentioned in the book. I'm, I'm a great admirer of straight actors who've turned to humor, who aren't trying to compete with the writers. So let the writers be funny. And this is something Leslie Nielsen, I remember seeing in, a, in an interview with him, let the writer be funny and play it as if it's straight. And then the situation will make the audience laugh. That juxtaposition will make the audience laugh, will make the situation funny. So I, I, I admire that. Yeah, I think that's so important. Uh, uh, you know, the key to it is uh, comedy sometimes. I, I remember back in Morris Meyer in the Majors uh, days, and for those people who remember that far back. Um, but one of the things I, I said very early on is we we would do dance routines but we would do them like, you know, like the Drifters, the Temptations, the Four Tops, all those kind of dance routines. And I said, the tighter we are and the more serious we are about getting it right, the funnier it is. Yeah. And so the three of us were different heights, but we were so tight. We would sometimes rehearse for three days for one routine, just so it was spot on. And because... And if we never broke out of the, the the taking it very seriously, we in our heads for the audience thought we were the four tops and we were that cool. Mm. But that becomes funnier. So it, it is about understanding the way humour works for other people as well. You know, you you're very good at, at, at doing droll. You know, saying something that is um, ludicrous or ridiculous, but in a very, very sincere way. <laughs> That's very kind. Most people call it sarcasm, but... Uh... Well, you know that. <laughs> Ask me who invented sarcasm. Uh, who invented sarcasm? I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke by Jackie Green in New York, who's the queen of New York PR. Um, but she she taught my son Sam uh, that joke when he was five, and it, 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 he didn't had I didn't understand what it meant, but he still does it today because he <laughs> it, it's funny. Is everyone funny? You think? I I, I think so. It doesn't mean I laugh at everybody. So what, what do you think? Do you think everybody's funny? I I still think that it's uh, it's more a gift from God than it is. Um, <laughs> well clearly for you it is um you are the chosen one <laughs> thank you very much uh, send all donations to the church of paulology church of humor church of humorology oh my gosh 
Yeah, no. Now we're in trouble. Um, do you find yourself funny, Peter? Uh, yes. <laughs> I briefly thought, is there a way to say this without sounding arrogant? And then decided there wasn't. <laughs> but I, I, I do laugh at myself and I do laugh at situations that I'm in. And I do tell myself jokes in the car, I suppose. And, and I think in some ways that's a rehearsal. Uh, well, in a lot of ways, it's a rehearsal. And then, you know, some get shared with other people, some some don't. Well, you just said you laugh at yourself. How important do you think it is to be able to laugh at yourself um, in for anyone in business and in life uh, to have that facility to uh, see themselves as ridiculous? I think, um, yeah, it's tremendously important because without that, I think you become detached from from other people. Um, and my rule of thumb uh, is if 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 if, I, if it would if it was happening to somebody else and it would be funny then it's funny that it's happening to me the fact that it's me or anybody makes no difference if the thing itself is funny um so i think if you if you'd laugh at somebody else doing whatever it is but yourself you you're defensive about it that's i think that's a sign of of being detached from from other people no i agree if I asked you to write a business case for humour, i.e. we've got to go and uh, go to a business and say, you need more humorology in your worldwide business, what would you include? Um, I would include a, a, a competitive analysis that shows that actually, despite the best efforts of their marketing people, they are on a par with their closest competitors. And therefore, the only thing that differentiates at the point of the buyer's decision is the relationship between the salesperson and the buyer. And humor will, will, will be the competitive advantage at that point of differentiation. That's what I would base it on. I, I agree. I think it's I mean, if we go back to basics that people buy from people they like and trust. How do you get to that situation where you have that likability and trust? Mm. One of the easiest ways is through humorology is to, yeah, to actually quite understand. some research on this in the book that, 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 that they actually, you know, scientists actually compared what people would buy, would pay for something when a joke was involved in the offer versus when it wasn't. And they would pay, what was it? 18% more or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah. It, it's uh, a, and the like was, you know, and, and I'll well make this in my final off, and I'll throw in my pet frog. Pet I think frog was the quote from from the research. But so there's there's research evidence that says using humour as a at that final stage as a point of differentiation makes a material difference. Yeah, and and the other research that's in the book is that, that shows leaders with even a meagre sense of humour are viewed as twenty seven percent more motivating and admired more than those who don't use humor and their teams are 15 percent more engaged and more than twice as likely to solve a creativity challenge that sounds like you've written a pretty good business case there just with that uh, that I, exactly no no i'll be sending that one out to companies yeah. all over the world and uh, <laughs> we'll be going in have you ever taken a joke too far and crossed the line 
across the line. This is a really interesting point in the book, isn't it? That I, I think a lot of people are, you know, afraid of, oh, I don't want to go too far, but you can't go too far without going too far. You can't, you know, you can't know where the line is until you cross you it. Cross you've it. got to be prepared to offend people. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and you have to learn. I was I I, I was hosting uh, many, many years ago. I was hosting a vets conference in Birmingham uh, where, uh, near where you're based. I did what normally works with a healthy company is I took the piss out of the CEO. Gently, I thought, but he hated it. And he was obviously a little bit of a tyrant. And everybody turned to look to see if he was laughing. And he wasn't. And that just infected the whole of the room. And it taught me a good lesson that you actually you need to sometimes get enough rapport with people before you do that. Because I just went out and did what I thought was a gentle insult, you know, went down completely like a cup of cold sick. Yeah, so that, that's a culture that's not ready for satire. <laughs> no, it's not ready for satire. Uh, Peter, we've reached the time in the show, which we like to call quick fire questions. Okay. Quick fire questions. What book makes you laugh? Um, Groucho and Me by Groucho Marx. Um, he's so, he can be so insulting uh, and, and acerbic, uh, but such a tremendous writer and he tends to take a bit of a winding tour around sort of poking fun at a lot of other people and then at the end of the chapter or the conclusion of the story he he ends up being the butt of the joke himself so he sort of uses it as a way of kind of collecting up all of these interactions and experiences and then sort of pointing that spotlight at, at himself which i think is a, a tremendous skill i love groucho and uh, i i think the book is tremendous and i i love groucho's lines like outside of a dog a book is a man's best friend inside of a dog it's too dark to read <laughs> what film makes you laugh my all-time uh, i have two all-time funniest films first is a, a night at the opera oh, uh, back to the, the marx brothers and the second is a, a more recent film that had Lee Evans in it. I think Lee Evans' best acting role uh, in a film called Funny Bones. Oh, yeah. That had George Carl. And uh, I think it was Arthur Smith in the book has mentioned George Carl as well as being a fantastic clown. And Freddie, Freddie, what was his name? Parrotface Davis? Yeah, that, that's it. If it's a dreary, cold Sunday afternoon, that's the film I'll, I'll always put on. What word makes you laugh? Yeah. What what word makes you laugh? Bollocks. <laughs> Bollocks is always funny. Do you remember that actually there was a court case when Virgin released the um, Sex Pistols album, Nevermind the Bollocks, and they had uh, the Manchester Virgin shop had it all in the window, just Nevermind the Bollocks everywhere. On the news, they were outside the court after uh, uh, it... It, the case had finished and they interviewed Johnny Rotten and they went up, Mr. Rotten, Mr. Rotten, what do you think about the verdict? And he went, bollocks is legal. Bollocks, bollocks, bollocks. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. 
what is not funny? Is anything not funny? Hmm. Is anything not funny to you particularly? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I for me, uh, sort of inauthentic humour I find not funny. So I talked before about you know people having to tell jokes that have been written for them by others. If they don't take ownership of that, if they don't internalise that, then they're just reading out somebody else's lines. So I find that that inauthentic, disconnected humour forced. I, I find that not funny at all how about you um i i don't like prejudice um which i don't like and i also don't like what used to be called punching down and mm. i think you touched on it earlier but because that's when it becomes bullying mm. you know uh, when you're just uh, punching at somebody and they can't really punch back what sound makes you laugh? Again, it's a situation thing. The chairs in CJ's office in Reginald Perrin. Oh. Which before CJ's kind of reawakening um, it was just his joke at the expense of people coming into his office. But then after his kind of his epiphany, he, he then becomes part of the joke. And so it's funny for everybody then so the the chairs that make a sort of a raspberry noise whenever somebody sits down or, or gets up again and yeah. it turns out that, that that he that he that it's not accidental that he actually deliberately orders chairs that, that make <laughs> embarrassing noises when people sit down so it's nice how these sort of layers of his character get revealed so i think that that noise no i'm, I'm very simple because i actually i actually the sound of uh children laughing mm. just sets me off would you rather be considered clever or funny? Ooh, that's, a, that's a because because of it's a big one. From as my publisher, I, I it's a very important answer that this. It is. It's very important because I think both are equally important. But if I, I, I kind of look at it in the negative, which one, which one couldn't I couldn't I wouldn't I want to be seen without? And I think yeah. I think I would have to say humour. I think, yeah, but well, I, rather than clever, I, I would have to say. Well, my belief is that yes. actually, in order to be funny, you have to be clever. Finally, Peter, desert island gags. You can only take one joke to a desert island. What is it? It's funny that the the, the, the main joke I remember is a, a a joke that a guy at work told me when I was an apprentice. That's so obscene, I can't. I can't and so um, prejudiced. I can't possibly repeat it here. In the book, I, I talk about um, one of my favourite jokes, which is the Steve Martin gag, which is before you criticise a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you criticise him, you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. <laughs> that's that's my favourite. That's yeah. my favourite in the world. Peter Freeth, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the Humorology podcast. Uh, Paul Barras, thank you so much for being a wonderful author of this fabulous new book that everybody should go out and buy immediately because it will, if nothing else, it will lift your spirits and brighten your day and make you a happier, more successful person, as if you could want any more than that. Thank you. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros. Produced by David Rose. Music by Steve Hayworth. Creative direction by Les Hughes. And additional research by Helen Sykes. 
please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.